Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Podcast. Located in the heart of Victoria, BC, we are a church that seeks to renew our community through the gospel. For more information, visit centralbaptistchurch.ca. Today our scripture reading is from Psalm 1. So if you want to find that in your Bibles or in the sermon notes, um, you can read along with me. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment or the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. It's been nice to be back at Central for these couple of Sundays. Many of you will remember I was here but almost a year and before Barton came. And um, I was looking at your website and I saw that there were some staff positions which I thought I might think about. <laughs> Seems though that the search committee is already working on it, so maybe I'm too late to apply. But there was an executive pastor... Sounded like a lot of work. <laughs> there was the youth and young adult pastor, but I'm 76, so I uh, don't think that would work. But the parkade attendant. <laughs> that sounded interesting. I was thinking if I took that over, I would offer something that no other church has had on Sunday mornings. Valet parking. How does that sound to you? Valet parking. And what we'd do is we'd get a whole bunch of the teens who've got their L certificate, their L badge. And so they would take your car and park it somewhere as you came in. It doesn't work. You remember last Sunday that I introduced you to Harry Blamars. He was a student of C.S. Lewis at Oxford. And we, we looked briefly at the Christian mind. And you remember his definitions, this, so important. The Christian mind is the prerequisite of Christian thinking. And Christian thinking is the prerequisite for Christian action. You see, our ability to think and to choose what we think about is the ultimate freedom and responsibility we have as human beings. But thinking's not enough. It has to become doing. It's nothing to do with brains. It's nothing to do with being intellectual or having degrees, anything like that. It is following out the command to love God with all of our minds. But last week we talked about how the Christian mind has been seduced by the culture in which you live. Things like pluralism and modernism, consumerism and sensualism. And so if you remember from last week, Harry Blamires begins his little book with one sentence. The sentence is, 
there is no longer a Christian mind. I wonder if he was writing today how he would begin his book 50 or so years later. But we're going to see this morning that Paul encourages us and inspires us to renew our minds, even in the midst of this dust of death that has fallen upon us. The idea of thinking revolves around two ideas. The first one is images. Images are very general. Images are abstract. Freedom is an idea. Ideas are broad categories. The second thing that involves is ideas, there's images. Now, images are more specific. Jesus does that, if you follow me for a moment, in John chapter 13. Jesus takes this abstract idea of being a servant. He could have given them a talk on servanthood, a lecture with a blackboard or something, but instead he translates the idea of serving into an image when he takes a towel and a basin, takes off his robe, wraps towel around his waist, and washes feet. Now, when you've sat in that room, you cannot say any longer, I don't understand the idea of serving. I really don't know what it means. Because Jesus has put flesh on the idea and made it an image. And this process of spiritual change, transformation, renewal, involves changing our ideas. And the reason is this morning, folks, is because ideas are the strongholds of both good and evil. The process of spiritual renewal, transformation, is the one of progressively changing destructive ideas and images with ideas and images and thoughts that reflect the mind and the heart of our God. When Satan wanted to draw Eve away from God, he did not make a frontal attack on her. He simply planted an idea. It was the idea that God could not be trusted. The Emperor Napoleon said of imagination, he says, an idea rules the world. So one man in the 1930s had the idea of ruling the world and eliminating our society and our culture of three groups of people, Jews, gypsies, and homosexuals. And the idea became an image. And the image became a holocaust of concentration camps and gas chambers. The ideas that are in our mind from our culture have to be changed and transformed, challenged by the ideas of God, which we find in the scriptures. So very frankly, folks, what we need in our minds are better ideas and different images than the ones that easily fill our minds. Spiritual change is the interchange of fallen ideas with the ideas of God. Paul has a word for that in the scriptures. We use it in English. The word is metamorphosis. So the Christian mind is the metamorphosis, the interchange of our fallen ideas with the ideas that come from the heart of God. And we find, to no surprise, that the thoughts of God are in the scriptures, which is the record of his ideas through the lives of people. We want to start this morning, Romans chapter 12, a great verse, a verse that I'm sure many of you know. 
Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We'll pause there for just a moment. Now, to understand this verse properly, you need to know that Paul is using two words, words that he likes and uses a lot. The first word, there are two different words for, for the Greek idea of schema, the Greek idea of form, sorry. The first word is the word schema. Schema means something which is the external, it's the appearance, it's what we see on the outside. And then there's the word morphe. Morphe means internal, what is inside us, what's there. Those two words are really at the heart of the passage we looked at last Sunday morning. Remember, we started Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, it says, verse 6, Jesus came in the form, in the morphe of God. He shared the same very inner essence that God had. Verse 6, Philippians 2. A couple of verses down, it says, Jesus took the fashion of a man, and that's the Greek word schema. So he was morphe inside God, but on the external side, when you saw him, he was a man, schema. Now between verse 6 and verse 8, by the way, there's no verse numbers in the scriptures originally, of course. There's what we call verse 7 or another phrase. And here's your test for this morning. And it says, Jesus took the form of a servant. So which word does he use? He's talked about being in the form of God, Morphe, being in the form of a man, Schema. Which word does he use now? This is your turn. <laughs> How many would go for Schema? I don't see very well. How many would go for Morphe? There's about 200 of you don't know. <laughs> he uses the word Morphe. Understand what that's saying to us? That when Jesus put on a towel and got a basin, that's not a, an outside thing for him. He's not playing a part. He's not acting. He's expressing what's inside him, which is the Morphe of a servant. Let me just take a little aside from this for just a moment. Many, many years ago, Harry and I were in a church. It was a Sunday, and we were visiting. We were on holiday. We kind of sat in the back row. We always have to sit in the front row, so we like sitting in the back row now and again. And the pastor was preaching from this passage, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, which, without trying to be smug, but I know well, and I know it in Greek just as much as I know it in English. And he's playing with these two ideas, that Jesus came in the form of God, Morphe. He put on the schema, appearance of man. And he got them the wrong way around. You understand that? He just got them the wrong way around. He says Jesus was at the schema of God. And I'm sitting in the back, kind of listening to this. And suddenly he just, like, woke up, like... And I said to Harriet... That's not right. And she said, shh. <laughs> I said, he got those words wrong, the wrong way around. She said, it doesn't matter. 
I said, it does matter. The whole Christology of the person of Christ hangs on those two words, and he's got them the wrong way around. Shh. <laughs> so I said to her, I'm going to stand up and tell him. She says, don't you dare. If you do that, I'll get up and leave you. So I did what any biblically trained, Greek trained person would do. I shut up. <laughs> but understand that in this passage, morphine schema. So back to Romans chapter 1. Paul says to us, do not be conform to the world. He uses the word meta, that's a prefix, makes it stronger. Meta schema. Don't just follow the customs and the habits of the world on the outside. But he says, be transformed. Undergo metamorphosis. He's talking about an inner transformation, an inner change that starts from the inside out, from our minds. He uses exactly the same word in Galatians chapter 4. Uh, Paul takes on a different role in Galatians 4. He's, he acts as part of a midwife, helping someone to give birth. He says, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. It means until Christ is morphed in you. And that morph metamorphosis is happening. And he sees it happening. He says, I'm a midwife in those kind of ways. Now, there's several key steps to how do we interchange our ideas. The ideas of the world come from television and our culture and reading from the ideas of God. Number one, we got to read the scriptures. Because correct ideas always come first. Without correct information, our thinking will be based on the wrong ideas. One of the great revivals in the Old Testament was in the time of a man called Noah. And the source of that revival simply came by reading God's word again and again and again. And you know what they did when they read it? I love what we did again this morning. Martha led us. We, they stood Day after day, Ezra read from, by the way, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah used to be one book and joined together. Ezra read from the book of the law of God. That's what it says to us. And that's what started the revival. Now, you, you want to go from reading, don't stop there. You've got to add to that a sense of study. And by, that's not just for a few keeners who go to Bible school or the mission field or something. That's for all of us. Can I say to you this morning, if you can read and study and practice a knitting pattern, which I think is the most confusing thing in the world. My mother was a very good knitter. I look at the pattern, can make sense. If you can load and work with a computer program today, you can study the Bible. There are helps and resources, Google and all kinds of stuff today, which were not around when I was in seminary. I had to do it the old fashioned way with books. There's all kinds of helps that are available for you today to, to do good and accurate Bible study. And on top of that, you've also got to learn to meditate. It means we allow the ideas and the thoughts of Scripture to come back again and again into our minds, to challenge our thinking, to analyze our thoughts, to change what is in our head. I told you last week I was born in Glasgow, a big, gray, dirty tenement building. I'm a city boy. But I'm told that cows have four stomachs. 
And we describe what they do sometimes as chewing the cud. In other words, they eat some grass and then they move it from one stomach to the other to the other stomach. The, the proper word for that is to ruminate. Meditation is ruminating on the scriptures. It simply means we have an idea in our mind, a thought from the scriptures in our mind, and if we memorized it, we can meditate on it. We can bring it from, as it were, one part of our mind into another part of our mind and go at it again, again and again. And ask yourself a simple question this morning. What kind of life would you like to live? Would you like one, as someone says, a life that simply blows away like chaff, has no substance, or one that's like a tall, straight tree, which, by the way, would be a very rare sight in Israel. We're used to them here. That's why the Psalms say, Blessed is the one who does not step, stand, walk in the step of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or, take, or sit in the company of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in the law of the Lord, he meditates. He turns that over in his mind again and again, day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. What kind of life do you want? Not so the wicked. They're just like chaff that gets blown away. So if you meditate on the picture, not just the words, the picture, since someone, ask yourself, what do I want my life to be like? The difference is in the interchange of ideas and images. And through meditation, we allow the ideas and the images from God to permeate our thinking and so direct our actions in our life. I will tell you this morning, you will not find that in Netflix. You will find it only in the scriptures. Paul again says to his finally brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, the last four words, think, Think on these kinds of things. Somewhere in the course of life, we realize that we need more wisdom we got. And where would you find wisdom? You turn back in the Old Testament to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book about wisdom, the wisdom of God. The Hebrew word for Proverbs, for, <clears throat> excuse me, the Hebrew word for wisdom is chokhmah. Chokhmah means living with skill. I know your pastor recently in your church did a whole series on, the, on, on Proverbs. I encourage you to go back in the podcast and study them and meditate on them. Toss the ideas around in your mind. Ideas and topics like communication, money, relationships, marriage, children. We need skill. We need chachmah in these things. There's a transforming way to read Proverbs that would change your life and bring you the wisdom of God day by day. It's very simple. On day one of the month, you read chapter one. Day two of the month, you read chapter... You're getting it slowly. <laughs> day three of the month, you read chapter three, and so on. Work at it for a month, 30 days, 31 days. You can fill another couple of extra chapters at the end of the month. Don't worry about that. 
And then go back to the beginning and read it another month. Another month. He would read the wisdom of God day by day, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. That, folks, would change your life. A lot of emphasis recently on mindfulness. You have read about that. Mindfulness and meditation are not the same. Mindfulness is being called into the present, where, to be where we are and what is going on, not drifting into the past or off somewhere in the future. Mindfulness means where am I now? Where am I present now with somebody? So we come from the past and the future to be mindful of the present. Meditation is different. Meditation is the conscious discipline of our thinking. And in biblical terms, we take the content of Scripture bit by bit, spoon by spoon, into our lives. Anyone who is seriously interested in a spiritually transformed life will have to concentrate on the Scriptures. I've been a pastor for 52 years and now kind of retired. Although I don't do that very well. I'm here this morning. <laughs> My kids have said to me, Dad, we're not going to buy you a retirement cake because, frankly, you're not doing it very well. <laughs> My pastoral goal in churches was very simple, this word. It was to nurture thinking Christians who think Christianly. That's all I planned to do, was to nurture and build up Christians, thinking Christians, who would think Christianly. Now let's go back to Romans 12 for a moment. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And notice the last phrase. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. I used to lecture in a Bible school. Every student in Bible school wanted to know what God's will was for their lives. What job should they take when they leave Bible school? Should I marry this girl that I just met last week? And so on. You know, most of the time when we ask about God's will, we're actually asking a different question. God's will for our lives, for all of us, I think it's pretty simple. It's our sanctification. We walk in holiness and obedience. What we're usually asking when we talk about God's will is we're usually saying, how do I make godly decisions for my life? That's what we're usually talking about. I'll just, that's another sermon for another time. Here are four interchangeable ideas that have to happen in us if we seek to renew our minds Christianly. Now, they're not linear. You can start at any one of them and work from where you are. They're like four doors into this truth of Christian living. You can start at any one you wish. doesn't matter. Maybe one of them more than others speak to you this morning. And as I often say, these are broad brush strokes. They leave so much behind. When I start to think Christianly, I start to live sacramentally. This interchange of ideas has to take place on the interchange of thinking that life has got two dimensions. One of them is spiritual, the God stuff. The other one is secular, whatever the normal stuff is. When we think like this, we see everything in bits and pieces. We fail to connect God's truth into the realities of daily life and life in the physical world. We need to think sacramentally. It means that all of life is sacred. You know, we can believe in God, attend church, believe in the Bible, the God who lives 
in the scriptures. But you know what we do? Monday morning, we step back into ordinary lives. We leave God somewhere in this building. When I was a young Christian in Scotland growing up, the challenge I often got from pastors was, Tom, how's your spiritual life? And one day I realized, God is not interested in my spiritual life. God is interested in all of my life. He's interested in how we speak to one another. He's interested in how we deal with our spouse in marriage, how we treat people. He's interested in how we drive. You realize that? He's interested in how we live at home, how we spend our money, and how we work. We have to give up this false dualistic view that there's a physical life and a spiritual life. Instead, we need to see all of life down here. Every action, every place is somewhere where God is interested and wants to be part of. We need to see that all life is sacred, and so we live sacramentally. The well-known Dutch Prime Minister Abraham Kuyper used to say, there is not one square inch of this entire creation about which Jesus Christ does not cry out, this is mine, and this belongs to me. We say the same thing when we sing or say Jesus is Lord. So maybe that's an interchange you've got to start to make. That when you come in here on a Sunday morning, 10.30 or whatever, this is spiritual stuff. When you, when you go out, that's physical stuff, and they don't relate. Oh, no. God is interested in every part of our lives. Everything we do is sacred. I never thought that God was watching my car when I was driving. When I start to think Christianly, I start to live supernaturally. One of the marks of Christian thinking is that we become more and more aware of the supernatural world. Life does not only consist of what we know through our five senses, what we touch and hear and smell and see and taste. There is another whole dimension to life which is just as real. In fact, it may at times be even more real than the physical. When that begins to dawn on us, it's like moving from black and white to color. Corinthians says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. This spiritual interchange takes place on two levels. First of all, there is the supernatural interchange about the reality of God and his power. When we immerse ourselves in the mind of God, the more we will realize that there is a supernatural world. And although we cannot see it, it is there and it is real. There is a supernatural universe around us right now. The other side of that is that the other part of the supernatural world is the recognition that it also has a dark side. There is evil in our world. And the real battle is a spiritual battle. When we start to think Christianly, we will become more aware of the reality of evil in all its various disguises. For about six years in Vancouver, 
I was the pastor of a fairly large downtown church called First Baptist Church. I was preaching one Sunday morning, just going up to preach. Um, usually Harry and I sat in the front row. I was just ready to move up, and somebody just slipped me a little note. I didn't know what it was for. I just read it quickly as my way up to the platform. The note said, there are three witches in the congregation this morning. And they're sitting in a triangle. One there, one there, and one there. What would you do with that? What would you do with that? It's a sad reality we have to street street proof our kids before we send them out to play. We say, don't talk to strangers. We need to be teaching courses on Christians to street proof their hearts and their minds. Again, from Paul, our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then if you know the passage passage at all, he goes into a full description of a, a Roman soldier, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness. That protects your chest and your heart in place. Your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition, take the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I thought of it this morning as I speak. Greek is two words for word of God. One word is the word, five letters, it begins with L. What's that? Logos. That's not the word used here. There's another word. Jesus also uses it in Matthew 4, talking about when he's being fed in the wilderness, or we are being fed by God's word. This word is the word rhema. And rhema is not just to say, oh yeah, we go to church that believes in the Bible. We believe in the logos of God. We learned the Greek word for that. Rhema is a specific truth, a specific promise, a specific word, a specific verse that is used to address and attack specific situations. And he says, we need to know the Word of God in detail, not just in some vague kind of sense. So when we ignore the dimensions of the spiritual world, light and darkness, good and evil, we will be left powerless and anemic folks. Our lives will become mere hollow, defeated shells. When we start to think Christianly, we will be aware of spiritual power. So before I went on with the sermon that morning, I stopped to pray a ton that God's word of light and truth would have power against this triangle of witches. I move on. When I start to think Christianly, we start to live purposefully. And that leads to hope. The ideas and the images that fill our minds and so control us are powerful. 
many of them come from advertising. Advertising is not there to give you information. Advertising is there to seduce you to get to the buy. You've earned it. You get a break today. That leads to the command of instant gratification. And not only do I want it, I want it now. And so they send you all those little plastic cards that you can use. If we are not careful, this fog silently leads to the loss of purpose and hope. When you can have everything now, there's nothing worth waiting for. That breeds nihilism, the emptiness and the nothingness of life. For some people, that is the breeding ground for suicide. Over my years as a pastor, there's four or five times we've had to deal with families, tears, because there's been a suicide in their family. A wife put a gun to her head. A young man hung himself in the garage. One of the greatest tragedies of our time is that we, this is the first generation. You know, we are the first generation with so much to live with and so little to live for. Those sad ideas have to be exchanged and interchanged with the new ideas and the new images of hope that comes from God. My purpose and your purpose is not found in self-gratification. It comes when I focus on what I can see and do to change the lives of others. Patience is not learned through instant gratification. It comes when we wait. Now, I know and you know that sometimes things in life don't go well. We have to ask deeper questions. The little brother of Jesus helps it helps us. Consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance have its perfect work, so that you may be mature and complete and lacking in nothing. It's not easy when we see people struggle. I want to hug them and hold them. I want to go get some of the tools I've got in my garage and try to fix them. Sometimes we can't fix everything. And it's not easy. Especially when it happens within our families. We know that. But sometimes God has a purpose for our lives which will only be realized through struggle and pain. And if we help people avoid that struggle, find an easy way out, we may be interfering with God's work in their lives. That's not easy to understand. But it is the only way we learn to become people of hope. That's why Paul says to us, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. The last story this morning. When I start to think Christianly, I start to live with gratitude. Gratitude, thankfulness. J.K. Chesterton once asked, who does the atheist thank when things go well? Can't thank God. Who does he think? One of the marks of God's work in our daily lives must be a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving. Not just on Thanksgiving weekend or somebody's birthday or marriage celebration, whatever, but it's the attitude of the heart for everyday stuff. Our society is toxic with grumbling and complaining. 
the government and COVID, anything else. It's become a national sport. Complaining means that we don't trust what God has given us or is doing. That is not the Christian mind, folks. The Christian mind is one of gratitude. Again from Paul, do everything without grumbling or complaining so that you may blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation and you will shine like stars in the sky. The Spirit of God wants to change this toxic, lethal attitude for one of gratitude and thanksgiving. Try that for one day. Here's a test. Try that for the rest of this day. For the rest of this day, live in thankfulness and no more grumbling. Deal? Some of you are there. (laughs) So the scriptures are essential for developing this Christian mind. They give us the ideas and images that flow from the heart of God. Some small practical steps. You can start with Psalm 1. It's read this morning. Don't mismemorize the word. Memorize the picture. What do you want your life to be like? Like a tree, strong, straight, or like chaff. You can start with Proverbs, as I suggested. Each day of your chapter for that day of the month. I guarantee you that in 31 days, it will start to change your life. You can start tomorrow, chapter 16. The search for a mind that truly thinks like a Christian takes on ultimate significance because in the end, the search for the Christian mind is ultimately a search for God. That is our true transformation. I woke up in the middle of the night thinking about a verse and a picture I knew very well. It says in 1 John, those who are born of God will not continue to sin. You know that verse? Those who are born of God will not continue to sin. Premeditated sinning is out. And you know why? John says in his next phrase, because God's seed is in them. The Greek word for seed is the word sperma. It's a word and an idea from sexual intercourse. This is breathtaking for me. And I want you to do a little bit of work with me in your head. Think about where and when and how you became a Christian. Right now, think about that. I became a Christian in a big Baptist church in the east end of Glasgow. That's where one night I went down to this pastor's study in the office and I knelt down with him. A couple of weeks later, I was baptized. A couple of weeks later, I took communion for the first time. Do you know what God was saying then to Tom? He was saying, I am impregnating you with my seed so that as you grow up, Tom, Whatever you do, you will bear the likeness of the Father, a child of God. Do you know God was saying the same thing to you? When you became a Christian, whether it was last year or 20 years ago or 40 years ago or whatever, it does not matter. And whatever you do with your life, like Phil and Martha, you go out to the mission field, maybe you stay here and you're a mom and you raise kids. 
God is saying to you, I have impregnated your life with my seed. Through the Holy Spirit, he has entered into us. And he says, I want you to go and live and bear the likeness of the Father. That comes from a renewed mind. If it helps you, close your eyes. If not, it doesn't matter. Don't just think of the words. Think of the picture. And meditate on that. And ask yourself, what kind of life do you want to live out of what's in your mind? Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates, ruminates, tosses in his mind the law of God day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. His leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff. The wind blows them away. Wicked will not stand in the judgment. No sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. The way of the wicked leads to destruction. of this day and week what's in your mind if you were encouraged by today's message be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to experience other talks videos and gatherings visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Podcast